Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, lead pastor Matt Dean begins a new series through the letter to the Ephesians called In Christ We Are. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you. We're beginning a new series called In Christ We Are, and we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, This church uh, was set in one of the fourth or fifth largest cities in the world at about the year 60 AD, so roughly 30 years after Jesus was crucified and was resurrected, uh, the church began to uh, move out of Jerusalem and into this region. As we think about this letter together, I want you to know that this was where uh, God chose in his wisdom for churches to be planted. And as we think about this letter and its context, I think you'll appreciate where it was written to and that you'll be able to relate to some of the very same cultural uh, identities that were happening right there. And so when we think about where this letter was written, you could almost apply it to where we are today. Um, Ephesus was an influential city. Um, It had a stadium that sat 25,000 people. And in its cultural context, there was materialism and wealth. There was rampant idolatry. There was hypersensuality. There are signs that you can still see today that point the way to where the brothels are. And this city, it was an influential city, and it had been inundated with all the things of the world. In other words, there were competing messages about what is life and who is worthy and what will satisfy. And this is one of the places where God chose for the early church to not only begin, but to flourish. And as we think about this, I want you to understand that this letter was written into a culture much like our own where there were competing narratives all around. There were paradigms that were accepted as true as though these things are actually authoritative in people's lives. So for this context, people would say that they were their highest authority. And that's just like our context, isn't it? People would say that the pursuit of pleasure was their highest goal, and that's our context today. There were competing messages about fidelity and faithfulness and human sexuality that is our context today. There was a hyper uh, devotion to political figures, all the way to say that Caesar was the savior. So for someone to say Jesus is the savior, say, there would be saying Caesar is not the savior. In other words, there's political pressure in that context to bow down and say that Caesar was God. And to say that Jesus is God was a counter popular message to that. When we think about where in God's wisdom he chose to plant some of these early churches, I love the fact that all the struggles that were going on in their world are the same struggles that are going on in our world. In other words, God's word is and always will be relevant to you. And I want you to have confidence as we look at this together that this matters for you. And I don't want you to be naive into thinking that you have not been shaped by all the messages around you. And the most important message you can absorb into your heart and into your soul is that you are in Christ forever, and that he is your highest authority, he is your highest pleasure, he is your great redeemer, and every other message and every other idea needs to fall subject to that. I understand what it must be like for you to think about this, because I know what it's like for me to think about this, and as I wrap my heart and mind around God's word, I want you to know today, all of us have good news today. All of us have good news today, and none of us, including myself, have fully arrived at understanding the gospel in its fullness and all that it means for us today. And this letter was written to believers some 2,000 years ago to strengthen their understanding of the gospel. 
They had history. They had the life and ministry of Jesus and his death and resurrection. And just a few decades later, Paul was working out the implications of the gospel in people's lives, helping them understand this is what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in your cultural context. And it's just as true for us. Another thing that's very important, and I'm, I'm thrilled to say this, that this letter magnifies God's eternal purpose, that the centrality of God's purposes includes the church. And in our day and age where the church is meant to be sidelined and minimized, Paul was writing saying, no, the church, the local and global church, the little C and the big C church, those are central to God's eternal purposes. This gathering really matters in the heart of God that somehow us gathering together to look at his word, to sing his praises, to confess our sin, to remember the cross, to remember, this matters in the heart of God. This is central to his purposes. It matters that you participate and show up. This letter also provides timely, I think, grace-filled encouragement for all believers. Is there anyone in the room that has struggled with sin and discouragement? Fear or anxiety? Has anyone in recent hours made really poor choices? Does anyone today need grace-filled encouragement? This letter, it gives that. It reminds that to us. And finally, this letter, if you could put it in two simple ideas, this is what it says. This is who you are in Christ, and this is how you live. This is who I am in Christ, and this is how I live. This is who you are in Christ, and this is how you live. I think it's so important to remember that this letter was not written uh, you know, by a robot in some Middle Eastern room. The guy who wrote this hated Jesus. The guy that wrote this gave witness to the first Christian martyr. The guy that wrote this was on a mission to arrest and detain as many Christians as possible until God in his wisdom, sovereignty, and power said no more. And God changed this man's life from a hater of the church to leading the way to the glory and grace of Jesus. He went from a persecutor to a proclaimer of all that God has done. So when we read these words, just know this was not by accident. God in his sovereignty allowed a man in great pride and great arrogance and great um, passion against the way of Jesus and radically and forever changed his life humbled him and showed him how much he would suffer and delight in the promises of God. If there is a mouthpiece that can help us understand what we deserve and what God has given, it would be the man who is writing as a changed person by Jesus. I hope that's your story. It's my story for sure. And as we read this letter together, I want you to think about these major four ideas today. Number one, You were made for the glory of God. Your highest purpose in life is the glory of God. You have breath in your lungs and your heart is beating for the glory of God. And let's just be honest, we all live for other things often. We get carried away with lesser things very easily, but I just wanna remind you today, you were made for the glory of God. Everything about you was made for the glory of God. Number two, you were chosen by the Father. You were chosen by the Father. You didn't deserve it. You didn't manipulate your way into it. He decided it happened. You were chosen by the Father. Number three, 
You are redeemed by the Son. We just finished looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through Luke's gospel. You are redeemed by Jesus. And fourth, you are comforted or assured by the Holy Spirit. You are made for worship. You are made for the glory of God. You are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and assured or comforted by the Spirit. If you don't hear anything else today and that's all you hear, that would be enough. But I want to just remind you today that you were made for worship. And I want to just kind of be be honest and, and you think about this in your own heart. What is it that you worship? And you're like, oh, I only worship God. I doubt it. You were hardwired to celebrate, enjoy, and talk about things that bring you life. So let's think about what we've missed this last year. Auburn football. Now, when it's going well, is there anyone in the stadium that says, hey guys, on three, raise your voices, lift up a shout of praise. When we get a touchdown, let me tell you what you're gonna need to do. You're gonna need to jump up and shout and exclaim at the top of your lungs, War Eagle. No one, no one needs to do that. Because when we see that happen, we're hardwired for worship and we're like, yes. But imagine a football game where it's going really well and we're like this. College students, you go home and your mom or your dad makes that meal that you've just been missing and you're tired of Waffle House and ramen noodles and you're like, I want that thing. And the table is set and you come home and it's there on the table and it's hot and ready for you and you enjoy it and you eat it and then you go. At a wedding, after the vows and after the rings and after you may kiss your bride, I now proudly present to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. No, we're we're we're, we're clapping, we're, we're, we're jumping out of the seat. Why? Because praise, it completes the enjoyment. Praise completes the enjoyment. And if your life does not include the praise of God, you are missing out on the pleasure of God. And if the gospel does not move you to speak and to sing and to act and to live in a way that looks like a whole life response to Jesus, you've missed it. You're missing it. And I'm letting you know this morning, you were made to worship God. And it will be your highest joy to worship him and acknowledge him forever. And I assure you, for those of you that are concerned that heaven may be a really long time of singing, if that is the case, and you're not a singer on earth, you will be there because it will be the only thing you can do. It may not be that way, but I assure you, if there's a moment to sing, you won't struggle. If there's a moment to acknowledge the glory of God, it won't be like, I guess so. Now, when you see God, it will, it will be your only response. And worship is your highest privilege. And the thing about that on earth is that sometimes we just get lazy, complacent, fearful. We don't, we don't necessarily think that it matters in eternity that I praise God. But let me just remind you from the word of God towards the end of the Bible there's the scene, there's the description that before the throne of God, which you will see, there are golden bowls of incense. And in those bowls are the prayers of the saints. Think about this. Every prayer you pray, every word of praise, 
Every song you sing, everything you say that is true and honoring and respectful of God is before the throne of God forever. And do you not want to get there and go, I have added to the praise of the only one who is worthy. I've spoken true of the God who has redeemed me. I have sung with my soul, with my lips, with my life. God, you are great and glorious. You don't want to get there and go, I hummed a good bit. You know, one time, one time, I think I clapped. It was awesome. I was scared. I just want to encourage you this morning. If it's not in this setting, find a setting. If it's not in this room, let it be in your car. But you were made to worship God. Sing your heart out to him. You were made to praise his holy name. So say it. And I think today's scripture is going to help you do that. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. If you're a highlighter or a note taker, I would underline by the will of God. In other words, Paul did not choose this. On that road to Damascus, God chose to radically intervene in his life. Paul writes, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice those two things. To the saints, that's their identity. That's our identity. We belong to God and to those who are faithful. In other words, identity corresponds with behavior. In other words, the faithfulness and the sainthood, those things go together because of who we are in Christ This is how we live. And Paul's opening line is a great one. Grace to you, the unearned, unmerited favor and blessing of God on your life and his wholeness, his completeness from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The unmerited favor of God and the peace of God. Let those be yours. That'd be enough. But then he goes on to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed is interchangeable with praise be to the one. This idea of blessed could also be praise be to the one. Praise be to the one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. The very first thing we see in this is the opportunity to bless or to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he has done. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according for the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, that we might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you heard and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Notice the book ends. Blessed be the God, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glory. 
and all that is between there, it begins with blessing God, praising God, and it ends with to the praise of his glory. Praise indicates there are words to be spoken, not just to the thoughts of his glory, to the praise, to the spoken acknowledgement of his glory. So let's work through these together. You were made for worship. And the idea of blessing God or praising God is for his glory. You are blessed with Christ, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing. Not some, not partial. Everything that you need, you've been given in Christ. You've been given every spiritual blessing. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I know that for some of you, the idea of God choosing initially is troubling. Are you talking about predestination or election? Yes. You mean to say that God is more in control than I am? Yes. You mean that God chose me and I did not choose him first? Absolutely, wholeheartedly, unapologetically. Thank goodness your salvation is not up to you. You wouldn't have chosen him. And you should be comforted by this. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, which means before the world was even created, God knew you and chosen his profound love for you to choose you and call you his own. You are holy and blameless before him. You were predestined for adoption. You're like, wait a minute, what are we talking about again? You mean to say that God predestined me to belong to him? Yes, he did. Can I tell you something? When my wife and I, uh, who's lovely and right there, when we were 29 and a half, we started the process of adopting children from China. We knew long before we ever met them the cost we would have to pay. We knew the headache and the paperwork and the waiting and the waiting and the waiting. And for five years, we waited and updated home studies and paid the fees and paid more fees and did more blood work and did more paperwork and did more background checks. We did that in two different countries while we waited for children from another country. We waited and we waited and we waited. Why? Because we knew the desired outcome. There was no price we would not be willing to pay. And for five years, we waited to meet our daughters. And I can tell you this, that in the waiting, they were already mine. They already had a name. They already had a future. They already had our possessions. They already had a home they could come to. They just didn't know it. They already had a mother. They already had a father. They already had brothers. They already had a bed and clothing. They had car seats. They had a future and a hope. They just didn't know it. And I can tell you that the moment I saw her face for the very first time, she was mine. She didn't know it. She knows now. And I can tell you, when you think about the delight of God as your father choosing to adopt you, you may not fully understand it, but it nevertheless is true. You are precious in the sight of God who chose you to belong to him forever. And there is not one thing you could do to earn it or deserve it. You are God's child for the purpose of his will. And all of this is to the praise of his glorious grace. You are blessed with grace in Christ. You are redeemed through his blood. You are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. You are lavished with the grace of God. And he does that with all wisdom and insight. I appreciate those last two words. God wisely 
and insightfully poured out his grace upon your life. He knows you. So when we think about this, you can now understand the mystery of his will. It's all these things in the fullness of time coming together to unite things in Christ in heaven and on earth. In verses 11 and 14, through 14, it talks about that we have obtained an inheritance in Christ that was planned for his purposes because he works all things according to his will. Can I free you up a little bit? You have an inheritance in heaven. So leverage all that you have on earth for him. You have an inheritance in him that will never spoil or perish or fade away. So give everything you've got, give it all you've got, leverage everything you have for his kingdom and purposes on earth because you will not, cannot take it with you. You have an inheritance. Remember, what is Paul trying to get to? This is who you are in Christ and this is how you live. Why are these things important? It's essential for us to know the power of God's wisdom in choosing us so that we can live accordingly. It's really helpful to know we have an inheritance in Christ so that when we leave this earth, we don't really need to worry about what we are leaving behind. It says, for those that hope in Christ, that we would be for the praise of his glory. And I wanna tell you this morning, I'm challenging you to think about what your praise looks like and think about where that happens and think about where it doesn't happen or why it doesn't happen and what stands in the way of you enjoying and acknowledging literally with your mouth and with your words and with your life that God matters to you, that he's worthy to you, that he brings you joy and peace. There is no silent worship in heaven. And even as we do this now, there are a hundred million angels that never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Upon hearing this word of truth, the good news of your salvation and believing it, there's a reminder in the idea of this is who you are in Christ and this is how you live. You need to hear the word of God and you need to believe the word of God. We're good at hearing it. We struggle with believing it. What stands in the way of us believing it? It's our mind, will, and emotions that have all been affected by sin. So we can hear God loves you, but we're gonna feel no, he doesn't. We're gonna hear you're forgiven in Christ, but we're gonna feel no, he hasn't. You're gonna hear you belong to God, you've been adopted by God, you've been chosen by God, but you're gonna feel, no, I'm not. And the moment that you can turn that is going, but I believe it's true. I believe I'm forgiven. I believe that I'm loved. I believe I belong. I believe the gospel. And it's not just that you hear it. You have to put it in drive and believe it. You have to actively believe these things because if you don't, you will passively drift away back towards feeling otherwise. Actively believe God. Perhaps the most encouraging thing is that in Christ, upon believing that, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's the guarantee of your inheritance. Now, some people fear conviction. They're like, I don't wanna pray because I don't wanna be convicted. Well, I don't wanna open my Bible because I don't want to read what I'm doing wrong. Or, I don't, you, but on the other side of conviction, think this through. Is there not greater freedom and joy? And when we don't want to hear God's word, when we don't want to hear his voice, when we don't want to see what is right and true, it's fear, it's idolatry. We're holding on to things that we need to let go of. But if we heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit, is it not freedom on the other side? 
Is it not greater joy on the other end of that? And, and the enemy loves to use fear of what you might miss out on to prevent us from engaging our hearts with the God who has only, by the way, been good to you. He's only been good to you. All this, Paul says, is to the praise of his glory. So I wanna be practical with you this morning. You hear us say all the time, worship is our whole life response to who God is and what he has done. If you've not written that down, please write that down. Worship is you declaring with your life the worth-ship of God, his worthiness. So worship is our whole life response to who he is and what he is not. It's not just a song we sing. It's not just dropping a check in an envelope. It's not just helping an old lady across the street, although those are really good and important things to do. Worship is with all of your life saying, I belong to you, you belong to me, you can have it all. Show me where I need to go, show me what I need to do. I will go anywhere, at any time, to anyone, at any cost for the fame and glory of Jesus. My life is an expression of who you are and your great worth. Worship is our whole life response. So as we think about these truths in light of Paul's heart for this church to say, this is who you are in Christ and this is how you live, I want you to think about this. It says, you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So what is your whole life response? You are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What does your life response look like? Praise him. I want you just to begin to think in your own heart, what can I do and what can I say that acknowledges the truth of what he has done. It says, you've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. What is the easiest application of this word? Choose him. He's chosen you, so what does your response look like? Choose him. You've been freed up and forgiven up to choose him. So in the morning, choose him. And in the evening, choose him. And when your soul needs to be satisfied, choose him. And when sin is enticing you, choose him. And when grace demands forgiveness, choose him. And when someone has hurt you, choose him. And when you don't feel like doing that, choose him. This truth, you are holy and blameless before him. That's tough, isn't it? Because we know us. I know me, you know you. We kind of know in general what people struggle with. So the thought of him saying you are holy and blameless before him. What do we do with that? If that's true, what is our whole life response to that? It's really simple. Be with him. If he said, there's nothing that stands in the way between me and you, you are holy and blameless in my sight, then our response is this. Okay, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna choose with time, with the affections of my heart, with the attention of my mind, I'm gonna choose to be with you because what you have said to me is that I am holy and blameless in your sight because of what Jesus has done. Here's this truth. You were predestined for adoption. What do we do with that? Well, we live remembering that he chose you before you chose him. So just know this. Before you think a thought, he already knows it. Before you say a word, he's already heard it. And before you've done that thing, he's already known it. And if it is in fact sin, he's already paid for it. He's paid the price fully for you. You were predestined for adoption. So here's how you apply that truth. Remember that he chose you and live that way. You are God's child for the purpose of his will. All right, so how do we take that truth? Okay, God, I'm your child for your purposes. 
How do we remember that? Quite simply, we actively remember he is your father. He's my father, and he has plans for you. My three-year-old, she doesn't know the plans yet, but she's convinced that I love her, and she wants to be with me, and to sit with me is enough for her. But I have plans for her. I have things that are good for her, and I am intentional with her. But my 15-year-old, he knows my heart more. He knows some of the plans I have more. And isn't it a good thing to know that God meets us where we are? And if you have three-month-old faith or 38-year-old faith, he knows you, and he's committed to you. So you just remember he's your father, and he has good plans for you. All this is to the praise of his glorious grace. So what, how do we apply this? I just want to ask you point blank this morning. Do you praise God? Do you praise him? Not because a song is on, but like, do you, do you, at some point, do you go, God, you, there's no one like you. I mean, are you actively in your relationship with him, remembering all the things that are true? I promise you, the more you know God, the more you think about God, the more you will enjoy God and praise will be a natural outcome of your life. If some of you have recently reached the bottom of the bottom, the lowest of the low, like your life is a total wreck, I promise you on the other end of this train wreck is praise for you. And when grace becomes sweet for you, you will start talking about it. You are blessed with grace in Christ. So how do we do that? How do we respond with this idea that you've been blessed with grace, the unearned, unmerited favor of God in Christ? How do you respond with that? This is a tough one especially in our cultural context, that we rest in the finished work of Jesus. Hear me. Can you rest? Can your heart be at ease knowing there is not one more thing you can do to make him love you more? And there is not one thing that you have done or will do that will take away of his commitment to you. It looks like resting in moments of victory. It looks like resting in humility in moments of failure and going, okay, I did that thing I did not want to do again. So I'm going to rest in the finished work of Jesus and allow humility to have its way so that one more time I can say, if it weren't for his grace, who could stand? You are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. This is very important. I think especially for college students as you are coming into your own, coming into your freedom, and with that freedom comes a whole range of temptations, but it doesn't get easier the older you get. Just remember that. But do not let the enemy condemn you. And when you struggle and when you make poor choices, remember this. You are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. So do not let the enemy condemn you. The very same one that suggests, hey, you should go there or look at that or see this thing or have that experience is the very same one that will go, what kind of Christian are you? The very tempter is also your condemner and don't buy into the lies of the enemy. God's word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the most critical question for you today is, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you shielded by God's mercy and love for you? And if you're not, I sure hope that you will be. I sure hope that you will respond to his invitation. 
And finally, you've been lavished with the grace of God, with all wisdom and insight. So what do, what do we do with that? If Paul's letter, the intent of it is to say, this is who you are in Christ, and this is how you live, what is part of what he is wanting to come across for us this morning is this, that we are to praise him. I know, I know that seems odd to you, but go back to the football stadium or to the wedding reception or to the great meal or to the simple pleasures in life. You praise a lot of things. You do. But is your highest praise of him? You enjoy a lot of things, post a lot of things, celebrate a lot of things, pay for a lot of things, but is your highest joy in him? And if it's not, it should be and it can be. And if it's not true of you yesterday, let it be true of you today that with your lips and with your lives, you have been invited into a whole life response to the greatness and glory of God. And that's your invitation. That's the, that's the first step on this journey and the idea of in Christ we are. Would you pray with me? Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church. Thank you.